At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. From her start in Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, which, by the way, Rosie says came to her by way of a run-in with Spike Lee in a club, to her most recent role in Your Honor opposite Brian Cranston and countless roles in between, Rosie Perez is Hollywood gold. But long before the bright lights and cameras, the storyline of Rosie's life was much different. The scene was Brooklyn, and a young Rosie Perez was cast in a role she never asked for. Born to a mom who suffered from mental illness, Rosie was in the care of her aunt. But for reasons unknown, Rosie's mom took her from that loving environment at age three and placed her in a convent, a home for displaced children. Rosie's childhood memories are fraught with stories of abuse and fear. But little Rosie resisted. She focused not on the adversity, but on learning to dance and moments spent with those who believed in her. And through it all, Rosie harnessed a fighting spirit, one she holds to this day. She is an activist, a fighter, and a diehard boxing fan. But even at 58, Rosie is still grappling with the effects of her childhood, anxiety, nerves, and survivor's guilt. But in the end, reflecting back on all of it, Rosie sees her story as one of perseverance and grit. This, guys, is the final episode of season three. I really wanted to focus on spiritual leaders and teachers, and no one can teach resilience like Rosie Perez. I'm Hoda Kotb. Welcome to my podcast, Making Space. First of all, I like to always kind of start off my interviews asking my guests where they are in this moment. Because I could interview you last week. I could interview you next week. You and I are the same age. I feel uh, a kinship with you. But in this moment, how are you? How does your life feel, your career feel? Pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Career-wise, I would say very good. I would say health-wise, it's... It's good. It's not great. Mm. And it's because I'm a little tired and mm-hmm. running ragged. Mm-hmm. Um, and mentally wise, I would say, you want me to be honest? Yeah, be honest. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. Because the fatigue affects my mental health. Yeah. Well, you have different parts of you. There's like the emotional part of you. There's your intellectual part that's always popping. There's the spirit. And then there's your body. Like, how's your body feeling? And what's the most important, like, what do you care for the most out of those parts of you? My mental health. Yeah. And how do you do that? (sighs) Yeah. What do you Um, do? I practice cognitive therapy. Uh. And sometimes it's very easy and sometimes it's not. Uh. I 
exercise. I go mm-hmm. out in the sunshine mm-hmm. because everyone doesn't really understand how valuable that is. Even just taking a walk, even for 10 minutes and going outside, it stimulates everything. Your endorphins, it releases the dopamine and yeah. you feel a sense of, yeah. <sighs> and it forces you to breathe, you know, and it gets you out of your cocoon, mm-hmm. you know, and so it kind of breaks that cycle you might be in Mm -hmm. if you're about to go down the rabbit hole, Mm -hmm. you know, so I exercise or I take a walk a lot or Mm -hmm. I sit out in the garden. I'm the worst gardener. but (laughs) Everything dies. (laughs) (laughs) What do you love about the sensation of sitting out there? Um, Playing in the dirt, to be honest. Really? I used to love playing in the dirt. When you were a kid? When I was a kid. I used to make um, mud pies. Yeah. (laughs) And I remember one time, this is embarrassing, but I was so hungry one time that I just kept looking at it. It looked so real that I kind of chomped and and I started spitting it out. And all the kids were like, you're a weirdo. (laughs) What are you (laughs) doing? Oh, embarrassed. There's something about a kid having their feet, their hands in the earth. There is something about that that is really nourishing. And when I think about you talking about mental health, Back in the day, that was not a topic of discussion. No one even imagined that any child would have any other thoughts. It's just like, why aren't you listening? You're not listening. Like that was the way kids were spoken to. If you were to describe the way you were raised in a couple of lines, were you self-raised? Wow. Hold on. You just blew my mind. Was I self-raised? Yeah. I think there was a percentage of that. Yes, definitely. I was also raised by my aunt, by the nuns in the convent that I was in, as a young adult by my father, by Sister Margaret Francis. But a lot of it was me, taking care of me. Hmm. I used to disappear even as a little kid. And I'm talking like 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, all the way up. I would just go for walks. By myself. And through therapy, I didn't understand that that was self-care. You were soothing yourself. I was soothing myself. And I would come back and, you know, have to uh, pay the consequences, you know. But I was kind of a spirited young girl, so I didn't care. It was worth it. I adopted two children, and I have a a now six-year-old and a three-year-old. And I was imagining, when I was reading more about your story, I was imagining my three-year-old, someone taking my three-year-old from the home and putting my three-year-old in the care of nuns at a convent where just like you were in your life. Mm -hmm. And the three-year-old feeling like, where are my people? Where's my mom figure? Where, where's my love? Where's everything I had before? Do you, do you have strong memories of just being three or four? I don't know when kids start remembering things, but and what you felt like? I have vivid memories, unfortunately. Um, I remember my aunt's bedspread. Hmm. It was peach and had little, you know, fuzzy balls on top of it. I remember that. And I remember that my my psychiatrist told me it was a sensory memory. That's where you were most comfortable was on her bed. Hmm. And so it's like, even when I get nervous, I stopped it now, but I used to, if you see like interviews, especially on Arsenio Hall show, he was the first only guy to call me out on it. I was so nervous. I was rubbing the chair. Yeah. And what did he and say? And he goes, are you nervous? I went, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that, that's when I was ashamed 
of my mental health issues. And so I was just kind of thrown when he said that. But I do remember being in the home. I remember the bed they put me in. I remember the worst is like the showers because you had to line up and take showers with complete strangers, other little girls. And you're like naked with other little girls. I remember all of that. You remember it all. And yeah, I remember the counselors that were wonderful there at mm. the convent. They were kind of hippie-ish. Mm-hmm. And all the songs that they would teach me and the dancing they would teach mm. me. I remember being taught tap dance by the nuns, which is hilarious to see a nun tapping <laughs> in a habit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, you know, that whoopee uh, go oh, movie, yeah, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, Sister Act. Sister Act, you know? It was like a five, six, seven, seven eight. eight. <laughs> you know, in the, with the habit on. It was sure. hilarious. They taught me softball and baseball. And then what happened was there was a new program in, uh, back then in the 70s of the group home. And uh-huh. they were there were group homes for uh, juvenile delinquents, mm-hmm. and then there were group homes for kids who were not, mm-hmm. and they thought had the ability to make it in the ah, world. Okay, you know because a lot of the kids would age out in the system, meaning they had no one to rescue them, no one to take ah. them out from that place. So once you were eighteen, that was it. That they was said it. bye. Jeez. And I, we used to watch that, and it would terrify me. Yeah. When I was a little girl, like, everybody would cry. You know, the girl or the guy, they have their little suitcase, and they would give them money for a, a ticket on the train, and that was it. And, like, where were they going? Nobody knew. Oh, they would go on terrifying. their own. You know, and so they had that program, the Catholic Church. It was their group home. It wasn't mm-hmm. a state-run uh. a group home. And within that program is where I met Sister Margaret Francis, who really changed my life. And they were preparing us to be equipped to live in society on our own. Mm. This uh, Sister Margaret Francis, what, how did she change you? Because she challenged me. Uh. She challenged me. She was the first one who would tell me. I remember she said, you know what? You're a stubborn little thing. And I said, well, yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) It's terrible. (laughs) And she goes, you need to find a way to use that for your own benefit. Oh. Because it's not working for me and it's not working for anyone else and it's not working for you. So you need to learn how to use your stubbornness and turn it into a positive. And I was like, "What? How do yeah, how do you do that?" <laughs> you know, and yeah. and I remember she goes, "Figure it out." And I was like, "Huh?" And she would drop little hints. Uh-huh. Like you do really well in school, right? Because you're so competitive. And I go, what? No, yeah. I'm not. Yes, you are. That's why you like sports, uh-huh. you know? And and she goes, and you don't give up on equations. That's very good. Yeah, you're really stubborn in that good way. Oh. And I started to slowly figure it out. My God, that's brilliant. It's brilliant. And she did see into you. She saw it into me. And she would also say that how complicated I was. Hmm. She said, you're so well-mannered. And you're so kind and you're so sweet and anyone can make you cry at the drop of a hat. But at the same time, your fists are ready. And she goes, put your fists down. She got to, you don't need to use your fists. And I just was like, yes, I do. She's about to punch me in my face. (laughs) You know, one of the girls. And she says, figure it out. 
My gosh, she and has such wisdom. She had such wisdom, and it drove some of the girls there in that group home crazy. Right. Because I would kill them with my silence. Uh-huh. And I remember I used to do that to one nun in the convent that I couldn't stand. And I didn't realize that that was a tool, that that was a weapon. Silence could My boost. silence. You know, or I just wouldn't engage with you mm-hmm. if, if like, one of the girls would start a verbal argument mm-hmm. or fight or whatever, and they were trying to entice me, and I would just lay back and smile at them. And I remember Sister Margaret Francis, one day she was walking past mm-hmm. the room, and she was watching, and I thought we were all going to get in trouble. And she looked at me, and she just winked. Winked at you. She knew. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So they stopped fighting with me, because I did, and, and then I just started to learn those things. And when Boy. she was leaving the order— I remember her sitting me down and because she left and she came back and she goes, I need to talk to you. I went, mm-hmm. And she said, listen to me. And she grabbed me by my hand and she had never put her hands on any of us. So I was shocked. And she said, I want you to put your head down and study because that's your ticket out. Promise me. And I nod. She goes, no, say it. And there was tears streaming Dreaming. down her eyes. She goes, because you can make it. You can make it. And I was, I started mm. blubbering. And she, oh, hold up. <laughs> That's so beautiful. <laughs> and she was beat red. Yeah. She first, said, yeah. you know, I yeah. thought she was, I did something wrong. And everything, and I said, I promise. And she, she says, take care of yourself. And she gave me a hug mm. and she just Walked ran out. out the door. Jeez. Did she get to see any of your success in life? I don't know because she was... Much older. She was older then, yeah. Um, I wish I fantasized that she did. Yeah. Or maybe she's still alive. You you never know. <laughs> Nuns live life for a really long time. <laughs> They're just clean living, you know. And um, I used to fantasize that one day I will bump into her, mm. you know. She was right, though. She was right. Yeah, she was right. Coming up, moving past the pain. I had survivor's guilt. You know, why Why did I get out? Why am I kind of okay? Why am I successful and they're not? Plus, sometimes opportunity comes knocking when you least expect it. Rosie tells the story behind landing the role in Do the Right Thing. Stay with us. brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play. Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. You know what's interesting about what you're saying right now? So, 
If, as a three, four, five, six-year-old, you were taken from your aunt's home, the custody of your aunt, by your mother and brought to this place and sort of left with a million unanswered questions, but in the same breath you talked about the things that you remembered that were good, often when you go through trauma, you don't remember there was any good. You don't remember there was tap. You don't remember that there were people who helped you. You don't remember that there was this nice nun who you you talk about today. You remember the trauma because the trauma had to be debilitating. I mean, how did that trauma not not break a child? A lot of the children there were broken. I know a few of them still. I'm still in contact with them. And, you know, I would say two of them are like me. We're We're like survivors. We don't like to call ourselves victims. And then some of the rest of the girls, they're in severely bad shape where it's hard for them to even function on a daily. And, and it's all because of what they endured. And, and so it's weird like that. It was very complicated for me when I got out of the system. I had survivor's guilt. You know, why, why did I get out? Why am I kind of okay why am I successful and they're not? And, and I remember this one person told me, well, you know what? Everyone's not that strong. Hmm. And that makes a lot of sense to me because I think that the reason why I made it and this other woman made it is that we had a certain strength within our character that was just there. You, you know what I mean? And I can't explain it because you could say, oh, well, for me, in my case, my aunt gave me so much love and told me I was special every day. I mean, it was ridiculous. <laughs> you, you know, even yeah. my cousins were like, oh, my God, <laughs> you were spoiled, yeah. you know. But she, her mother was horrible. To her. To her, horrible, horrible. Never visited her wow. in the home. Right. Um, you know, ignored her. If she did come to visit, she would ignore her and then give the attention to her other siblings. You know, this and that. And, like, she's very successful and -hmm. and she's very together. So you can't say, oh, well, you made it because you had love in your life. I did better because I had love in my life. But she did not. She she did not. And she succeeded. So it's very interesting. I find the character of a little girl, and I'm trying to picture you now in that way, how that doesn't break a person. How do you mm-hmm. still stay feisty? You said you used to sass back. Oh, yes. But sometimes with enough horrible pressure from mm-hmm. grown-ups, that can be eliminated. Yeah. But not in you. You just kept fighting back. I just felt like I was just doing time. Huh. And I also knew that my aunt was fighting for me to get out. Yeah. And then my father... I found out, was also fighting for me to get out. So I kind of had this thing, I'm not staying here. You know, right, as this is temporary. Go on yeah. and go on and go on. I still had in my mind, I'm going to get out. Why did your mom want you in there in the first place? I don't even understand that piece. I don't either. She says because I was a love child, but she put her other children there. Oh. And then she changed the story and said, oh, I couldn't take care of you guys financially. But she took some of her children back and left me, hmm. you know. And so it, it just doesn't make sense. And her severe mental illness is the only logical explanation that I can have, is that she was paranoid schizophrenic. So there's things that are 
beyond my comprehension, you know? And so it's it's like that. Has forgiveness come for your mom? I'm still working on it. Yeah. I used to lie and say, yes, I forgave her and stuff like that because I didn't want people to judge me, hmm. you know? But it came when she was passing the beginning of forgiveness because all of a sudden I— I looked at this woman and I said, my God, she had a horribly sad life. Hmm. You know, and as an adult, you have a different perspective. And I was able to have a level of empathy for her. Hmm. And and that shocked me. That like really shocked me. I didn't expect that. You know, and I think that I resisted forgiving her because everyone told me, well, you have to forgive your mother. She's your mother and you have to love her because she's your mother. I'm like, this woman is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, what I? do you mean? So I would, the rebellion in me that is so a part of who I am would just subconsciously say, no, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do anything. And when I went and started being under the care of Dr. Catherine Fideli, she was the first person to go, you, you don't have to forgive her. She wow. was an abuser. Wow. And I went, What? I said, could you, can, can I record you saying yeah. that so I could play it to myself? So you did not think that? <laughs> I despite, did not think I had, well, I did not think that I had the right. So as you emerged and you said you were strong when you left that convent, how did you come upon the confidence that started your career on this path? <sighs> I think it was my rebellion and my stubbornness. And I think it's just the DNA on my father's side. Yeah, he's got that. He's Oh, he had that in spades. Yeah. He was so confident. I remember him going up to women and going, hey, I know I'm ugly, but I can make you swoon. <laughs> okay, that's hilarious. And the women would laugh and he would look at me and wink. And he goes, that's how I get up. You know, <laughs> like, oh my God. You know, it's just, it's ridiculous. But he had it. He believed. He had it. And in my family, like if you were to meet my sister, Carmen, you're like, yeah, that's yep, it. you guys are related. My brother, the same, same thing. My cousin Sixto, the same thing. Yeah. And it's like, you tell any of us we can't do anything, we go, what? Well, this makes perfect sense because you met Spike Lee back in the very beginning, back in time, and you hadn't had an acting role, but you got into a little argument with him because you are headstrong. Yes. And no one's going to tell you no. And it was from that argument ended up the birth, really, of your career from a fight. Yes, from a fight. Yes, I love right. that. Oh, my God. How did that happen? <laughs> oh, my goodness. He was having a butt contest. I found it appalling. Butt and contest. Yeah, okay. and he, the producer of the event had invited all the girls from Soul Train to come down because they wanted, you know— us to like fill up the club and he was promoting school days. So the oh, song yeah. was doing the butt. Oh, doing the butt. So that was that his thing. Yeah. So I got up on a speaker and I was like, don't let him, is this what you want? And I was trying to mock it. And, oh, like women, you don't have to, you don't right, have to, you don't have do, to this. do this. And, um, and so he, uh, he came with uh, bodyguards and told me to get down and, and I was like, oh my God, I thought I was going to get thrown out, yeah. you know, and all that bravado kind of went away. <laughs> and when he said, tonight is spade, I went, oh, you wish. And that's when the fight started. You know, first I was almost on the verge of tears, yeah. you know, and I was about to say, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, what or the other? Which yeah, one yeah, is it yeah. going to be? And then he did that and, and he, you know, I didn't understand what he had meant. He meant like, we were supposed to meet because you're supposed to be in a movie with me. I didn't understand what he meant. 
And because I had men hitting on me all the time. So yeah. I was sick of it, you know. Yeah. So, so, so that's where I thought he was coming from. And yeah, so it was born out of that. Um, your career has been on this crazy trajectory. I mean, you're one of those people who can walk down the streets and everybody knows you. And you also have such a great body of work. Did people, or how often, I should say, did people try to change you? Rosie, more like this. Not like that. That doesn't sell. You got to be this. You got to be that. Did they try to form you, mold you? Oh, yes. And would you, how did you, did you go with it or resist? <laughs> I resisted, of yeah, course. Of course you did. You know, and it hurt. It hurt bad. It was like really hurt because a lot of it came from the Latino community. They oh. wanted me to calm down and be quiet and change my accent. They were like, oh, you're putting the accent on. And at the time, I wasn't. Yeah. You know, my accent was very thick. And, you know, it was just painful. Even just people who represented me, agents telling me to get a nose job. I go, okay, people, I get it. I got a big <laughs> nose. Okay, I'm fine with it. Why aren't you fine with it? Yeah. You know, and by the way, I think I'm cute. You know, <laughs> you know, it's just like, and dye your hair blonde and do all these things and change yourself. Why? Why? Because you could pass. And I remember this one age, I said, pass for what? She goes, you know what I'm talking about. I said, no, I want to hear you say it. And she goes, excuse me? I said, yeah, excuse you. You're fired. And I just walked out. Wow. I was, I was Livid. Livid. Oh, my God, I was so angry. And I remember walking out there, and I got on the train, and I just was crying, yeah. angry tears. Angry, yeah. You know, and some people on the train, you know, yeah. nobody yeah. pays attention anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know, they just probably like, okay, yeah. a Puerto Rican girl have a meltdown. Okay, just another day in New York, you know. But I was so angry. And it was Jennifer Gray. I told her the story. Yeah. And she goes, oh, thank God you didn't get a nose job because look what happened to me. <laughs> I mean, Jennifer Gray from Dirty Dancing was known for her look, her nose and all that. And it's true. After she got the nose job, people didn't even, they were like, who are you? Yeah. Which and, one are you? Exactly. And she Jack said, Chris. she goes, I don't think you should change a thing. And the only reason why you should change is for the role, if the role dictates that. Hmm. And I said, thank you for telling me that. And she goes, no one's ever told you that? I said, no. And she goes, well, you should fire your agent then. I go, I did. <laughs> you know, and she got oh, me a better agent. She, she did? Right there on the spot. She wow. called her agent. Wow. Yeah. Coming up next, why Rosie cannot wait to turn 60. Much more with Rosie when we come back. ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the U! Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time.
It takes women a long time to find their voice. It sounded like yours came early or you finding your voice or did it still take you time? I look at it as not finding my voice, but developing, developing. my voice. Yeah. You know, because I always fought for myself, but there were times where I didn't, mm. where I was like, okay, don't, don't say anything. You're just going to make trouble, mm-hmm. you know? And throughout the years, it just, it came to me when I had broken my neck during a stunt gone bad and I hadn't worked for a long time. And I remember my friend said to me, I think the universe is making you sit down mm. and be quiet because it was hard for me to talk. And it was a really good time. It was the worst of times, but it was the best of times because the thought came to me of positive entitlement. Mm. You know, there is negative entitlement and everyone only uses, oh, you're so entitled as if it's a negative thing or a derogatory term. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I said, wait a minute, there were moments in my life where I was positively entitled. Mm. I demanded a certain way to be treated. Mm -hmm. Where did that go? The nuns didn't break me. My mother didn't break me. I will be damned if Hollywood (laughs) is going to break me. And I remember I was laying in bed with a collar on. I was going, oh, my God. (laughs) It was like the universe just just yelled. Yes. yes. And I remember my sister Carmen was like, are you okay there? You're taking too many meds? I know. And I was like, my goodness. My goodness. And, you know, and you think about that, that was 2009. Yeah. When that came to me. Yeah. You know, I think on a personal level, that's where I would struggle at times to really find my voice mm-hmm. more so than in my career, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of women who I know who are powerful and successful, you step into their home life. You're like, who are you? You know, it's a different person because a lot of times their significant other, whether it be a man or a woman, mm-hmm. if your light is too bright, they want to dim it because they don't have any light of their own. Mm-hmm. You know, and so (laughs) you see that, you know, and that's what I keep working on. And I think that's why there's been in the past, I would say, eight years of change in my career. Because, you know, that positive entitlement, that positivity that just started to come over me. You know what I mean? And it just, I just was like... I just want to shine bright. Mm-hmm. Like a diamond. <laughs> like a diamond. <laughs> you know, uh, I just want to shine bright. And what's wrong with that? I'm not hurting anybody. You're not hurting anybody. You know, it's not artificial. No. It's not coming from a place of, I'm better than you. No, I totally get that. Okay. It's like sometimes you dim your light, whether intentionally or not, because you don't want to make the person next to you feel bad. So you're like, well, it wasn't that big of a deal or something good happened and you want to share it. And then you decide, no, maybe not. Maybe I'll keep this small. I was in a relationship and I remembered every time I came home and put the key in, I remembered thinking, he's going through a difficult time. So I can't talk about this day today. Mm. And so that was the pattern every day because every day was still not a good day. So then you kind of make your life and your world smaller and smaller. And then suddenly you look around and go, who am I? And then the other side of that coin sometimes I think is like, it's like reflected glory. Like some people want to be near you. 
so they can have some of your light. They don't have their own. So they're like, let me get close to the light. That's reflected glory. Then I feel like that that lesson too often comes later. It's like you look around and you go, you get one ride around the sun. That's it. That's all we get. And when you were describing someone wanted to be like someone else, I always think like there's nothing on the planet that tries to be someone else. A dog wants to be a dog. A cat's a cat. The plants grow. They want to be a plant. We're like, I want to be like her. It's like, what are you doing? Like, this is how we were made, how we were created. And yet somehow we're trying to twist ourselves into a pretzel so we can fit and be what this stranger wants us to be. Right. It just, it totally is ridiculous. And I find it funny. We're 58-year-old women and we're having this conversation and I feel like the best is now. Do you feel that? Yes. Me too. It is. And, you know, someone said, oh, my God, you're, you're almost going to be 60. I yeah. go, I can't wait. Yeah. Because if this is getting good now, oh, my God. You know what I mean? I was like, I cannot wait. I really cannot wait. And, you know, I told my husband, I said, every single day I'm getting out of my own way. Hmm. Every single day. And it's getting a little bit better every single day. I still have my dark days. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. want... Anyone listening to this think that, you know, I've made it through in regards to Mm. mental health because you do have those dark days. Of course. But now at this age, I go, okay, what do I have to do? How do I fix this? How do I get out of this? How do I get out of this? Yeah. Because I still want to enjoy the day. Yes. You know, I still want to just keep being happy. Mm -hmm. And so... I don't need those outside things. Mm -mm. I just need a walk. You need a walk. Or I need to talk to somebody. Talk to somebody, yeah. That's it. Or sometimes I need to watch the little rascals (laughs) so I can laugh. You know? (laughs) That is so hilarious. I've not heard that name in years. You know? But something. Everyone thinks they need so much and you don't. You don't. You really don't. And my husband, when he first met me, um, when we were dating, he was like, I was going to buy you an expensive bag, but... I realize you have like all these cheap bags <laughs> and they're kind of old looking. I go, yeah. I only have nice bags like when I go yeah, out go for out. work. Yeah, for work. Yeah. You know, or go out to dinner. That's it. Yeah. But uh, I said, you're going to see, I wear a lot of the same clothes yeah. for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need it. I don't need it. I'm the exact same way. If someone gives me something that's f- super fancy, it's not my love language. How to have, have you kept growing with your spouse so that you are... You know, because sometimes one stops growing and one keeps growing and you're like, hey, like, catch up with me. (laughs) Come on. There's a lot happening up here. I think just that of talking, because I remember one time we had our first two years, we never had a fight. Wow. Not even an argument. Wow. And then the fight came. Yeah. And I told him, I said, listen, you've never been married. I have. This is my second time around. This is good. What we have is good. Let's not mess it up. Yeah, good. Don't walk out. Stay. Stay here and let's fight for this. And he went, you sound like an Oprah special. (laughs) And we both started cracking up. And in my mind, I told him afterwards, I'm like, he's the one. He's the one. He's the one. Because the joke, you know, and he's laughing. And he sat down in the middle of it. And he goes, okay, all right. And I go, great. And, you know, so... We check in with each other 
very often. Yeah. How are you? How are, you know, or we, we? Yeah. we compliment our relationship yeah. all the time. Yeah. You know, I love that we're like this now. I love that we're like that now. What we do for each other, though, of keeping the excitement, I know yeah. you're going to go, you're kidding. Yeah. Is to go to boxing matches. Wait. Because that's our love. Wait, you both love boxing? We both love boxing. So when you go to a match together, it's like a hot date night? Oh, yes. <laughs> I dress up. I do. I, I have to get the hair done. You know, the makeup. What do you love about a boxing match? Tell me. It's the same thing of the feeling of when people go see a soccer game. Yeah. You know, and everyone's rooting for yeah. their team. Yeah. You know, we're rooting for our fighter. If you were to go to a boxing match with me, like I like to go to the big prize fights. I like to go to the little fights. Mm-hmm. But when you go to a prize fight and they're playing Sweet Caroline, mm-hmm. and that's a UK thing. They started in the, oh, the UK boxing fans are off the charts. I went to an Anthony Joshua fight in the UK. It was 90,000 people, and the entire arena was singing Sweet Caroline. (laughs) Oh, oh, oh. The euphoria that you feel, and you're smiling, and these two people are going to, you know, beat the crap out of each other in a few minutes. (laughs) You know what I mean? But you're like, yeah! You know, and real boxing fans for a big championship fight, Mm -hmm. they get dressed to the nines. I love it. And you meet for drinks. Social, you know, all the parts. And then after the fight, everyone goes out Mm -hmm. to dinner. You get home like at one o'clock in the morning and you're like, oh, that was great. You know, and so we do that. That is so funny. That is such a great date night. And both of you love it. Is there a mantra, a quote? Is there something that you live by? Something that's kind of front and center? It's something my aunt said. Yeah. She suffered from depression. Mm. And she was strong enough to always tell us when she was depressed. Mm. And I came home from school one day and she was laying in the bed. She came home early from work, which was very rare. And I said, what's wrong? And she goes, ay, Rosy, antipres. And I said, you are? And I climbed in the bed. I said, I'm sorry. She goes, it's okay, because tomorrow's another f***ing day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when I'm on set oh, and it's a difficult day yes. or you have a terrible director, I say it's another f***ing day. <laughs> tomorrow's a, another day. Have a bad mental health day. Tomorrow's, tomorrow's another f- You know what? I I love that. Did your aunt, is your aunt still with us or did she pass? No, she passed. She passed. Wow. She got to see. What? All of it? All of it. She got to see all of it. And uh, she was very proud. When was she her proudest, do you think? Oddly enough, my first marriage, when I got married, it was so humiliating (laughs) because, you know, we said our vows and they're like, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. and Mrs., And everyone's clapping, and she stood up and yelled at the top of her lungs. She stood up from her wheelchair. (laughs) Now I could die. (laughs) 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 I was looking at her and, what? (laughs) What a pistol. What a pistol. See, I'm telling you, it's in the DNA. Oh, man, you got the best genes. Oh, my God, we we couldn't stop laughing. And I I went over and said, why do you want to die? She goes, because I know you're going to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, you had had a lot of cheerleaders in your life. Rosie, I love you. Thank you for coming to see me. Oh, thank Um, you. And I always wanted to tell you this, and I was too shy to always tell you this, but I think that you're an amazing, big, 
person with an amazing big heart. Mm. And that really was cemented when I heard that you had adopted children mm. because I used to fantasize about being adopted. Mm. And <laughs> I kept saying, just in case it doesn't work out with my aunt, <laughs> maybe someone can adopt me. Mm. And for people like you, <laughs> all the people out there that open up their homes to children mm. and offering them a new life, God bless you all. Mm. God bless you. Mothers are, in my opinion, made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, my aunt was my mom. Yeah. So, and, and your children are very lucky to have you. Thank you. Oh, okay. can I give you a yes, hug? please. <laughs> Hey guys, thank you so much for listening and for going on this journey with me. If you like what you heard, and I sure hope you do, please give Making Space a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends and follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening right now. Making Space with Hoda Kotb is produced by Allison Berger and Ursula Summer, along with associate producer Rachel Yawn. Our associate audio engineer is Juliana Mastrorelli. Our audio engineers are Tarek Fuda and Bob Mallory. Original music by John Estes. Bryson Barnes is our technical director. Mina Kathuria is our executive producer. And Libby Least is the executive vice president of Today and Lifestyle. We have a special thank you for our last episode. We'd like to thank Mary Casolino, Tom Mazzarelli, Pete Breen, Talia Parkinson-Jones, Lauren Gamzee, Justin Pirelli, Abby Boucher, Megan Stackhouse, Elizabeth Bader, Ashley Kodiani, Melissa Radzimski, Missy Dunlop, Alexa Kasavecchia, John Makeley, Nick Offenberg, Robin Gratison, Amy Wolf, Celia Muller, Amanda Sidman, Abigail Russ, Brittany Bosner, Katie Disler, Allie Detweiler, Kate Saunders, and Dylan Murphy. And to all my guests, and especially to you guys for listening, thank you for making space for us. I'm Hoda Kotb. Thanks for listening. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispie, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.